Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 258. A leader that can start to attract um, employees or teams from other places rather than from the same old pool brings in new ideas. And when you can do that, if you can do it successfully, um, then you have a chance to really change something. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Are you short on time when it comes to training your restaurant staff? Well, if you are, don't worry. I'm sure you're not alone. But there is light at the end of the tunnel. You can find that light by visiting Tipsy for a whole library of video courses delivered by World Barista Champions, leading sommeliers, marketing gurus, and customer service superstars. Learn more by clicking the Tipsy banner in the show notes. If you choose to subscribe today, you'll get a special 50% discount because your Restaurant Unstoppable listeners get on it. So with excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Paul Barron. Paul, please tell me you're feeling unstoppable today. <laughs> well, first of all, that, that is an amazing uh, intro. I like that. So <laughs> if anybody can't feel unstoppable after that, then they obviously need uh, to get a new career. <laughs> yeah, that's the idea. That's why I, I like to get started off on the right foot. But man, uh, I, I couldn't imagine anybody like yourself not being unstoppable. You've accomplished so much. We'll, we'll kind of pull back the layers on who you are, what you've done, uh, what makes you an authority. And we're really going to dissect the uh, Chipotle effect equation, which really is like the framework of the book you authored, the Chipotle effect. But first, let me just provide the listeners a quick aerial view of who you are. And uh, Paul Barron is the go-to guy in digital, social, and media for restaurants and hospitality industries. Uh, he's the founder of DigitalCoco.com, FastCasual.com, uh, QSRWeb.com, and FoodableTV.com. In addition, Paul is the author of The Chipotle Effect, an award-winning book on the social consumer and the retail and restaurant business. And obviously, this is not doing you justice, Paul. It's just a huge aerial view of who you are if I was really if I had to introduce everything you've accomplished in the past two decades I'd be going on for for hours uh, so let me just pass it over to you now to kind of get that motivational inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra what do you have for us um, you know I think it kind of boils back down to something that uh, that Troy Smith uh, said to me which is uh, was my mentor in uh, in really kind of getting me into the business, and that, and that was that that customers will always be in control of our business, no matter what we think. Um, that's that's pretty much it. If uh, if we ever believe that we have control, uh, that's just a recipe for failure. Yeah. So that's the uh, the big uh, thing I live by pretty much every day. And so much more today than ever before because of the impact uh, that they have on our own brand, just through telling our story and. Uh, expressing their experiences they really just control uh so much of the success of our business it, it, it can happen just overnight if you do one exactly. little thing uh do you want to talk right. to that at all well i think you know it's interesting that um 
the brand Chipotle, which is you know kind of the the reason for the book, wasn't necessarily about the brand Chipotle, but uh, more of their success model. Mm-hmm. Um, they up up until this year uh, seemed almost invincible, and it was really just a small amount of social media that uh, kind of put this brand on its heels. When you look at a brand that's trading at stock prices above $450 a share um, and essentially skyrocketing past every other publicly traded restaurant chain out there, for them to be stalled uh, and essentially kind of um, put on hold in their tracks based on just a, a social media effort. Now, obviously, there were some things behind it, but, but the fact is, is that many restaurants face these kind of challenges on a day-in, day-out basis. I think Chipotle was just... Uh, you know, they had a bullseye on their back, and social media kind of catalyzed the whole idea of, of what it means to go viral very quickly. And they're currently paying for it. You know, they're they're in a really uh, precarious situation right now with the consumer, and um, one that may take some time for them cor- to correct. So, what do you think has changed about the consumer in the say the past four years uh, since your book was published that has? Uh, I guess ultimately changed the relationship between Chipotle and its its uh, consumer. Well, I think that uh, four years ago, Chipotle and the rest of the restaurant industry were dealing with uh, the kindergarten consumer, okay. and t- today we're dealing with um, essentially the MBA. Um, it, it's a completely different landscape. Uh, even back before I wrote the book. That has, and even though that part of why I wrote the book was this evolving uh, consumer and, and the idea that this would eventually be, could be even the industry's undoing, um, is that the consumer has become so much more powerful and more dangerous uh, than ever. And that is one of the things I think that restaurant operators, business operators in general, don't take seriously enough. Man, I can't wait to dive into that one line you said, the consumer can be dangerous, and we don't understand how dangerous they can be. Uh, But before we really dive into uh, your book, the content in your book, and kind of uh, how the the industry has evolved since you published your book, I really want to have you kind of paint the picture to our listeners about who you are, uh, why you're an authority, why we should be listening to you, and kind of how you got to where you are today. So kind of paint the picture of your your career in like the next five minutes for us. Okay. Um, Yeah, sure. I I started uh, in consumer science, uh, mostly in in, um, retail uh, programming for the restaurant industry, and, and I worked with Microsoft for many years. And part of my um, my charge there was to help develop the uh, original point of sale systems for uh, restaurant and hospitality, which were the touch screens um, that eventually would would pretty much be in every restaurant you know concept out there, no demand. Um, so I did that in my early career. Uh, fell in love with the uh, the business, the restaurant operators that I got a chance to work with. Really, what it was is I saw their passion was just something that I could not replicate or see in any other business environment I had been around. So uh, I, I, you know, I think at that point I was just kind of hooked. It it drew me in like a you know a moth to a flame. It's and an infectious man. It, it is. Uh, once you're in it, you know, you, you kind of get that uh, approach. And, and that was really where I fell. So 
you know, being in the tech business, uh, uh, you know, a Microsoft guy, I thought, well, I, I, you know, I can't be an operator, at least not at least yet. Um, so I thought, well, the best way to do that was to consult and help uh, these brands kind of leap this at that time in the early 90s was leaping the boundary of just the electronic cash register, uh, as ironic as that may sound. And that led to uh, consumer-facing uh, technology, so everything from line queuing, uh, from drive-throughs. Uh, at that time, we were researching LCD signage and consumer science around uh, how consumers react to certain types of visual stimuli. Um, that was really where I fell oh. in consulting and worked with many of the big brands, Taco Bell, Starbucks, McDonald's, uh, Sonic, uh, Panera, uh, pretty much everybody that, that you know today. Uh, I was involved or worked with their early technology teams in developing some of their original customer-facing uh, technologies. Um, and that kind of led me to uh, launching my next phase, which was in publishing. Um, was never a, really a writer. Uh, that was the ironic thing. Uh, <laughs> I get that. <laughs> more of a tech, more of a tech guy, and knew how everything worked. Um, and when the web launched in, you know, ninety three, ninety four, um, I knew there was something there, and uh, I took a risk and basically kind of bet the farm on online media. And so I launched fastcasual.com, uh, coined the term, and also with it uh, a site called qsrweb.com. And that was basically tracking the fast food industry and this emerging little industry called fast casual. Uh, that grew and rolled it into a, uh, a merger with uh, a company called NetWorld Alliance, which still owns it today. And I'm a large investor in that group. Um, and that that was really kind of the genesis of media. But I knew, uh, you know, probably about mid 2000s, uh, really kind of around the idea of. When I launched the Fast Casual Executive Summit, we started tracking the top 100 brands. Uh, I had the idea for the book. Um, and we started a thing called the Fast Casual Alliance, which eventually would be merged with the National Restaurant Association. All of that, I thought, you know, this is great, but it was just what was happening then at that mm-hmm. state. And I just felt like there was going to be a future that was yet to be told, and I felt like technology would be the catalyst for it. And uh, that was really when uh, social media hit. Um, I took another leap and decided to uh, dream up Foodable Network. And uh, the idea was to use social media and video um, to basically start telling the story of the industry. Even though at that time, you know, video, bandwidth, mobile devices, none of that had really um, appeared yet. There was only a slight amount of uh, inkling that, that we were going to be onto something in 2007 when the iPhone launched. Uh, and that was pretty much it. Steve Jobs kind of just convinced me that this was going to be the future. And I pretty much uh, did the same thing I did in you know 1996, and that was I went all in on the future of what our industry would be around media. Mm. And that's where I am today. Yeah, and I mean, just to kind of summarize... Uh, everything you just shared with us, like what I take away from that, Paul, is that uh, you are an expert in tracking human behavior, uh, the 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 consumer, and uh, kind of keeping your your finger on the pulse of the industry, uh, the past and future, the trends, and what we can expect uh, based off human behavior, where we're headed. Is that fair to say? 
Yeah, I would say so. So much so that in you know in nineteen or in two thousand eight, uh, two thousand nine, I had this crazy idea that uh, I could use uh, a baseline of search uh, engine optimization terms uh, and keywords that we used even with uh, Alta Vista in the day and AOL keywords in developing our sites. Um, and that was using that database to leverage a new learning technology that we called the Restaurant Social Media Index, which we launched in 2009. And the idea was to index uh, terms uh, on social media that consumers would use that related to restaurant brands. And that was you know, menu items, uh, certain types of service terms. Now we're up to about a quarter of a million terms that we track in wow. the index and about 170 million uh, U.S. restaurant consumers and about uh, 26,000 brands. We study that um, incessantly. That's uh, a product we call the RSMI, and uh, it's also linked to Foodable Labs, which is our research center here at Foodable Network. And we essentially study consumer behavior around food service trends, and uh, it helps us identify sales trends, um, product trends, brand trends, uh, you know, you can name almost anything in food service and it's likely that we have a pulse on it in the labs product. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's been pretty cool. And you can use that resource, the RSMI, uh, or R- RSM index.com is the website, correct? That is correct. Yep. And you can use that to kind of see how you, uh, stand up against these big brands and to kind of use that to see where do like, what am I doing? Uh, right. What am I doing wrong based off these leaders in the industry? Is that how we should be looking at that resource? Yeah, it, it, co- it covers five metrics uh, that are pretty basic in social media. And uh, each one has a weighted scale that is a 100 basis point system. So a big brand doesn't have an advantage over a small brand. It's based on internal uh, modulation of the numbers. So a Taco Bell can go head to head with a, a company like Lime Fresh here in South Florida. And equally, they can be scored and uh, and measured on the same basis, so it's uh, it's pretty interesting. Awesome stuff. So uh, if Paul hasn't sold himself to you by now, uh, maybe hit pause and go back and really listen to who we're we're talking to right now. He's going to drop some gold on us. I know it. I can't wait. So let's dive into your book, The Chipotle Effect. And I have to be honest, uh, you kind of already touched on this a little bit, Paul. Like uh, the name of the book, uh, when I first saw the title, I, I assumed, and this is why you shouldn't, I mean, great title, great cover, but don't you know judge a book by its cover. Uh, the Chipotle Effect, it's not about massive chains and franchises that's kind of what i assumed i was really pleased when i started diving into this book about how it really focuses on impact and how the industry is taking a turn to focus on local in uh, almost on a smaller scale would you say that that it did i read it wrong is that what you're saying in the book no it was uh it, it was just destined to really kind of uh uh address the issue of of evolution in in both the consumer and the food service space and there was no you know the brand chipotle even though we used it as a basis for the model of the book um it it kind of at that time uh was uh, you know kind of the the puzzle that was being put together by brands that eventually would be where we are today so the name was just really just a way to kind of get people's attention of yeah. uh, the hottest fast casual brand that was out there. Yeah. And uh, real quick, just give the listeners a quick definition of what the Chipotle effect is. Well, you know, there's there's a couple of things that happen uh, during the, the development of the book. And uh, one of the things was I started putting together kind of 
uh, almost a formula. And um, there was a few things. One was Leadership 3.0 that I talk about in the book mm-hmm. uh, that you can read a little bit about. But the the one I do get asked a lot about is the page 196 that you mentioned in the pre-show is um, you know what that formula and equation means. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, this is actually a whiteboard study that we put together when we were researching the book, uh, me and my team. And um, part of it was that innovation had to be the catalyst for almost everything that was happening in Fast Casual. The reason innovation was so important was because uh, we were dealing with brands that literally, though they had a, a trail kind of blazed for them through the quick service restaurant industry, they were really stepping foot on a place that no others had. So uh, innovation was the number one uh, component. Idea is the number two component that you have to have. Uh, so if you add innovation and idea, uh, and then you add the third uh, measurement there, which is a leadership ability, uh, regardless of, of how innovative you may be or how great the idea may be, if you don't have a leader that has uh, the capability to kind of take a brand or a business to the next level, uh, essentially it's, it's not going to go anywhere. And um, you take that package, you times it times the consumer science understanding, and now you have something. Uh, that's the basis for any business. If you have that cor- that basic cornerstone of, leadership, innovation, and ideas, and you can take that and really understand your customer, uh, then you're on the track for almost putting any product in front of that consumer, uh, providing it still applies to the core components, you're going to win. The key is when you compound this by the leverage of social and digital media and technology deployment. So, even though you can use social and digital media now, which is essentially the new media product that is overtaking the planet, um, every other traditional media means we know is either being transplanted or in the process of being transplanted by uh, social and digital media. If you can leverage that and then deploy technology to match it uh, and then add the, the final component, then you've got what we think is the next era business. Uh, and that is you've got to be able to deal with this new breed of employee. Yeah. And that's huge too. Uh, man, I, I uh, there's so much value in this equation. I'm, I'm like making notes, drawing circles on the book and like, I just can't wait to pull back the layers on all these different things. But real quick, just to summarize the mastering the Chipotle effect, the equation is innovation plus idea divided by leadership ability uh, times consumer science understanding compounded by social and digital media divided by uh, technology development times new breed of employee equals the new consumer love affair with the, your brand. Uh, and I can, I'll put this all in the show notes if you guys are trying to write it down, so don't worry about that. But let's just start from the beginning and really kind of uh, um, let's just talk with innovation. And you, you touch on this in the book, uh, Innovation and Idea. Where would you say uh, – that stems from, and you mentioned curiosity in the book. I'm taking a leap. Is that where you say innovation and idea comes from? Is just that curiosity? Yeah, I think so. For here's the ironic thing that I've learned over 20 plus years of tracking this space, and the fast casual sector is the only sector I've ever seen this occur in in food service, and that is that the the 
the true masters or CEOs of these fast casual brands um, were not chain operators. Uh, they were not. Uh, they were entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. They th- that's very different than almost every other segment. Whether you're in casual dining or fast food or fine dining, most of those operators came from the evolution of where food service was at that time. Fast casual, uh, we have everything from uh, finance guys to computer science guys to branding experts to chefs to uh, you know all sorts of uh, and walks of life that have stepped over into food service and. It's kind of interesting when you look at the real uh, winners, this innovation is coming from a whole new place that has never existed before in food service. Where's and what that? I mean, well, it's coming from experiences that are, are completely abstract to what food service is. Food service is about service. Mm-hmm. Number one, it's, a, it's obviously uh, a food component that, that you know everybody that has fallen in love with food service loves that aspect of being able to serve someone and and kind of uh, just the very meaning of restaurant being to restore oneself. And I think that's great as a food service guy, but when you don't have innovation coming from different places, then the industry gets stagnated. And that was where the industry was, uh, you know, in 1996 when QSR was pretty much the uh, uh, the 800-pound gorilla and uh, casual chains were basically just on fire. Fine dining, you know, had no... Uh, no end, and um, it didn't really seem that that there needed to be another place. There needed to be another segment, and uh, I think that was uh, kind of the story that we are unfolding daily now. Is is that innovation coming from really abstract places? Places like um, you know consumer finance, uh, places like digital branding uh, from guys like me who were a computer science guy, you know, that, yeah. that fell in love with food. And I think the real cool part, going back to what you said earlier, was the consumer is drives everything and how dangerous the or how not necessarily dangerous, but how uh, the consumer can really help you. Um, we're jumping ahead to the consumer science, I think, but the, the consumer created fast casual like you write in the book because they mm-hmm. they desired that that we you know we started learning about how important good food was to us and how it affects our our health and our our lifestyle and all these things and we couldn't get that food without spending a ton of money so the entrepreneurs those idea people those innovators said hey there's a need to give really good food to these people but they want it fast and we need to you know, meet their expectations and give them what they want. Is that kind of how you would say the the birth of fast casual came, where people with that uh, desire for quality food to, to match their fast paced life is in the, the the entrepreneurs seeing that opportunity? Is that how it all started? That's an interesting question because that's a that's a bit of a uh, a point of controversy. Okay, <laughs> um, because I get that question asked a lot. You know, kind of what what came first, the chicken or the egg? Was it the consumer? driving the demand or was it uh, these new age operators uh, creating, you know, the need through through product. And I really believe that we had a very interesting uh, thing occurring um, in the mid 90s, early 90s. You know, you guys, guys like Ron Shake, um, you know, if you look at um, uh, the founder of Baja Fresh, uh, Jim and Linda, they were doing things that were in these bubbles, 
so Ron's over on the East Coast. Jim and Linda for Baja Freshers over here on the West Coast. Steve Ells is, you know, a, a college kid cook in Denver in a little green building um, starting Chipotle. Uh, they all had this kind of isolation, uh, which most true entrepreneurs have in the beginning is they're very isolated. Uh, it's usually an idea that nobody else is is working on. Um, and it's usually uh, very defeating in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think the consumer uh, was essentially uh, taking a risk on these young upstarts and establishing. Even though they had the ideas of the brands to get, uh, you know, kind of place a new type of uh, menu and a new type of customer experience uh, into the marketplace, the reality was the consumer uh, really drove it very quickly. So I still believe that it was the consumer that created the segment. Awesome. Um, and we kind of skipped over the whole leader pit, uh, leadership ability. And I think that's kind of, I mean, if you listen to the show, we put a lot of emphasis on the importance of leadership. And if you're going to attract onto yourself amazing people, you need to be an amazing person. So I think we don't really need to spend much time on that. I mean, is there anything that you just really want to drive home on that topic of the leadership ability before we move on? Well, you know, I think uh, our leaders today um, and, and even back a decade ago, uh, these were a different breed of leader. They were a much more inclusive leader. It was kind of interesting when, when I got to meet these guys, uh, knowing them at that time in their early careers and knowing where we are today with the millennial employees, um, they were actually practicing much of what the HR departments are preaching today. Um, they were practicing it 15 years ago. Get specific. What, what were they practicing well, exactly? So much more openness around. So the, the restaurant industry ha- had been um, kind of known for its, its private good old boy networks. Um, and it kind of grew that way through the years. Only until we saw this new breed of, of innovative leaders in fast casual did we start to see this new attraction towards food service. So it was now cool to be in a food service environment. So they were starting to attract people from all walks of life. You know, So a leader that can start to attract um, employees or teams from other places rather than from the same old pool brings in new ideas. And when you can do that, if you can do it successfully – um, then you have a chance to really change something. Um, we see this in the media space. Uh, it's one of the things I kind of preach to our own teams is is we don't hire from other media companies, you know, because they've already seen and done everything we've already seen and done. Mm-hmm. What what we want to do is hire from places that are unique and different that could bring a new breath of air, you know, to our business. And I think a leader has to understand that it hurts uh, badly because it's it's the most difficult uh, transition for a leadership to do is cultivate a team that's not experienced. Mm. And I think that's what uh, Ron Shake and the likes of Steve Ells and, and uh, you know, some of the icons of our industry, Dana Meyer, Danny Meyer is doing it today uh, in, in New York with his evolution of Shake Shack and Union Square Hospitality. These guys aren't afraid of that. And, and I think that is... Is something that's very, uh, you know, very special around leadership. When you say they're not afraid of that, be specific. What what is the that you're speaking of? Well, uh, complacency. Mm-hmm. You know, most leaders will do what's easiest. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll do what uh, hits the balance sheet the best, 
what can perform well to the stockholders and the stakeholders the best. Um, that works for today, uh, but it doesn't work for a company that's looking to you know, break ranks and become the next Chipotle. Um, if you look at, and I always use, you know, jobs as an example, you know, he was that kind of guy, um, whether you, you knew Steve jobs in the, his early career when he was kind of that domineering, you know, executive in, in the evolution of Apple, or you knew him in his latter career, which is the one that where I got a chance to meet him and seeing him evolve that company, uh, through this kind of leadership, which was really going off the, the chart in terms of the P and L and saying, this isn't good for the company today, but it's going to be good for the company in three years. Uh, so, as I said, it's painful for a leader to take those risks. Some pay, some companies won't stay by a leader that does that. Um, some companies will. You know, it depends on on your situation. But I think um, that's why we saw you know the successes we've seen with um, uh, the fast casual, especially the fast casual icons today. Uh, they've been. You know, and the emerging ones too. You got Matthew Corn over at Freshy. You know, Nicholas Jamey over at uh, Sweet Green. These guys are a new breed. Uh, they don't run a business like a restaurant ran a business even five years ago. Um, it's it's a very interesting time uh, and one that I think. Uh, so, real quick, Paul, how are they running it? That's different than other businesses. Well, let's let's just use uh, Matthew for instance. You know, he um, and Freshy challenged the norm. Uh, so there was a transition in fast casual between, um, you know, fast food and where it is today, uh, which is really kind of evolved to a good for you segment. The, the winning brands are are clearly going the health route, uh, more, you know, more uh, uh, transparency around their menus, transparency around their operations, their sourcing, all that kind of stuff. So you get a Matthew Corn that comes in from the finance industry, and you know he's a P and L guy. He looks at everything on a numbers basis. Um, and Matthew created, but he knew at the same time that health was eventually going to be the key, but he fought that category because it was so slow in uptake, uh, for seven, eight years. And, uh, he was able to stay with it. So he is one of those guys that, um, has been able to kind of, um, one isolate and believe in something and know that he had to bring in a fresh breed of talent and team, uh, to help accelerate it. Uh, to the next level, which gets back to my my point of leadership ability and idea and innovation, um, he was able to do that. Nick Jamey, same guy, Sweet Green. He and his two partners out of uh, Georgetown uh, jumped on an idea around salads being the next thing. Uh, that that chain is you know flying off the shelves right now in in D.C. and off the Eastern Seaboard. But they did something that was crazy. They stopped taking cash and. This was just recently. <laughs> and you look at those kind of moves, and, and that's what we're talking He's not thinking about today. He's, He's thinking, thinking about, about tomorrow. tomorrow. Yeah, awesome. These guys are thinking in a completely different plane uh, than we are. Danny Meyer, same guy, when you know, he goes to the, tipl- the tipless systems you know, to address the, the onslaught of the labor market uh, shrinkage that we are going to experience. Um, and we may be on the cusp of that right now. Yeah, and I think that kind of ties into the social and digital slash the technology development uh, and being a visionary and being uh, in aviation. When I was a commercial pilot, they call it being ahead of the plane when you're flying into an airport. Like, 
don't think about where you are right now. Think about where you're headed and what you can do to prepare for whatever approach you're flying or just be ahead of the plane. And yeah. I think that people in the restaurant industry are so in the moment that they don't project, they don't have the end in mind. Uh, they don't, they don't vision as nearly as much as they should. And just take that time to really think about the future and to, to vision their future and to have that goal, to have that end game, uh, which is what I'm picking up from you right now. And this next topic is something uh, I really just loved about the book, which really just lit me up inside, which was uh, the consumer science and understanding the consumer and the points you were making, Paul, in the book were that uh, what really stuck out to me is just transparency and impact today uh, mm-hmm. have more of uh, an effect on the consumer than ever before. So uh, I think also to tie back into leadership too, transparency and uh, impact and caring about your people is also another huge quality of leadership. So, I mean, just to kind of digress and go back a little, just to touch on that topic on leadership, but talk about why transparency and uh, just the, that real uh, relationship, that impactful relationship with the consumer is so important today. Well, I think uh, now it's not even a choice uh, any longer, you know, when fast casual kind of, evolved in the mid 90s it was still a choice uh, for operators to be transparent uh, and there was only a handful of them that that even started to talk about that kind of concept um, but as you got closer to 2000 and then moving on into the mid 2000s it, it became pretty much a an ongoing mantra of the emerging you know uh, guys uh, Greg Gollerhide the guy that took over Baja Fresh very transparent in uh, understanding consumers and and really kind of about that brand when it was uh, you know flying so high, um, but I think that was something that in in that era uh, it was just an unheard of leadership quality uh, of being transparent to your team, mm-hmm. being transparent to the customer, even though in some cases it may not necessarily benefit you. Um, so it really kind of changed the uh, the model and and today. In reality, there's a lot of businesses that are starting today that are not transparent, and they're doing just fine. Uh, then there's a lot of businesses that are starting today that are transparent from the get-go, and um, either they'll be able to manage it and it become something great, or uh, you know they'll implode. You know, so there is a certain amount of risk that you take with transparency. And it's one that I think, uh, unless the operator or the you know the business leader is clearly in on understanding what it means to be transparent, mm-hmm. um, it's it's very important because that that in itself can be the, your saving grace or you know your last goodbye. It's mm-hmm. it's a it's a tough one, but it's something that that has to be done in the sense of consumers just essentially pushing us in, into that place. We have really no other places businesses to go in the future so why is trans why can transparency be dangerous well here's the thing uh in it in itself transparency is not dangerous it is the um it's it's the a a good uh example of this is uh, i heard this on uh if you ever uh, watched the movie um uh i am legend there's a great quote by one of the doctors that were in the beginning it, and they were trying to cure cancer, and the, the idea was if you have a speeding car on a highway and you, and you put a bad man in the speeding car, uh, bad things happen. Um, <laughs> you put a speeding car on the highway and you put a good guy in the speeding car, 
everything's fine. Yeah. So that's the way I look at leadership around transparency. Yeah. If you put a leader that truly understands it, everything's going to be fine. Absolutely. No problem. It's going to blow up and uh, that brand's going to just be a skyrocketing brand. Uh, you put you put a leader in there that um, is a good old boy, is, you know, think has uh, sexism issues, has, uh, you know, 1950s beliefs, uh, and not that those aren't bad, has, um, you know, just a different way of managing, then I think transparency is, you know, it's a pill that he, that he, she cannot maybe digest. And that's usually where the failures start yeah. to occur. And uh, I'm happy you explained that. And uh, one of the biggest aha moments for me, I'm going to kind of get woo woo on everybody here is uh, when I was started this podcast, I didn't really know what made a successful person in the restaurant industry. That's why I started because I was on a mission to learn. And the biggest, you know, just eye opening moments for me was all these people I'm interviewing they're transparent, but they're amazing people. They're good people who have the yeah. best intentions, who are hardworking, intelligent, amazing leaders. And if you want to be successful in the restaurant industry, the journey starts with you being an awesome person. So get to work on yourself, work on being, you know, getting those core values straight. And then once you get that, then start thinking about building out your restaurant. And what, but that it's all that whole transparency thing, like extending, making your restaurant an extends uh, an extension of who you are and your personal mission in life, whether it be serving your community or educating people. If there's, if you're awesome and you have an awesome mission and you're transparent about it and you really live that mission, those core values, then transparency can be amazing, but it takes being um, like, an amazing person first. And do you think I'm out of line by saying that? Is that way too, is that unpractical? No, I think it, it's almost required mm. uh, today. If, if you have, you know, just the bad actors um, out there and believe me, there's enough of them out there. Um, you know, it, it, it's just a, a pill that is just going to eventually explode I, versus the, the people that are truly, and inherently uh, just good. You know, they, they do everything uh, around them that, that is for good. Uh, don't, don't get me wrong. They're not, they're not people that just let, let others run them over or, or, Hey, can't, you know, can't deal with the hard situations when they occur. But at the same time, if you just have a vein of, of, uh, Hey, listen, uh, we're here for something greater. Um, then I think if if you can step back every day and and just mention that to yourself is you're not the it you know it's the people around you uh, it's the idea that everyone's moving toward that exactly. matters most it and just, I think the it's the a change touch, yeah the touch on that the the idea that everyone's moving towards and to kind of extend on this whole consumer behavior and consumer understanding and you touch on this in the book people go to your restaurant because of how associating with your restaurant makes them look in society's eye is that fair to say no doubt um you know it's funny uh, that uh, you know fast casual was kind of the cool place and ironically social which is inherently self-serving um automatically and magically um attracted itself to fast casual concepts and every 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 operator every time i speak at a conference everybody wants to know why is fast casual the one that seems to be the most powerful around social media and i said you had to think about it it's 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 two peas in a pod mm. you know you're a brand that is the cool hip brand that everybody wants to be seen at 
And social media is the vehicle that everybody uses to be seen at. Mm. So it, it's just a, a natural, you know, component, you know, and, you know, I get this a lot with, um, you know, fast food brands who say, well, why can't we be that cool, you know, hot brand? And, and I'm like, well, you can, you have to change the DNA of your yeah, business. You have to become that. Like yes. you can't just be that. Like you have to, there isn't like a, a switch you hit. It's an eternal, uh, the culture of your business, everything has to live that. Sorry for yep. interrupting. No, you're hitting it. Yeah. Um, and I love that you're using the word brand and not concept. I hate that word concept. And I think that you're starting to see a, a diminish of concept today because people like to come up with ideas or concepts. And it's really hard to to sell a concept today because then you have to show up and live that quote unquote concept. Whereas a brand is an extension almost of yourself and who you are, what your core values are, what your culture is all about. Would you say that's a fair statement? Yeah, I I do. Um, A brand can be one unit. Mm. Um, You know, we, if you're on brand off brand, you get that in marketing a lot with uh, the teams that are building them these today. And, and it, it is the inherent, uh, process of building a business. Every business out there is a brand. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I don't believe that we have concepts and we have, you know, uh, you know, it's a new uh, type of uh, a sector or something of that nature. It, it really is just at the core level um, the, the real thing behind it, which is uh, the development of a brand DNA, which is uh, unique in itself. Now, I have a real important question I want to ask you, but first, we've got to take a break to thank our sponsor, and we'll be right back. When you're running a busy restaurant, it's pretty hard to find time for training. Well, Tipsy has a whole library of video courses from industry experts, including world barista champions, marketing gurus, and customer service superstars. Get your staff watching Tipsy courses and watch their growth help your business. With Tipsy, scheduling training, tracking skills growth, and measuring engagement is a piece of cake. In the hospitality industry, we never have enough time, so training often falls away. But as management legend Andy Grove says, the only two ways to improve performance are training and motivation. Tipsy provides both. Click the Tipsy banner in the show notes to find out more. Because your restaurant unstoppable listeners, you'll receive a special 50% off your first month. What are you waiting for? Get on it. We're back. Now, in the book, you make a statement that the independent operator is kind of under, uh, I don't know, is, is threatened uh, with the way that things are going. Do you still feel that way four years later? You know, that's one of the uh, the predictions and the assessments at that time that I think I missed oh, in the I'm book. I'm so happy you said that. <laughs> I'm so happy you said that. Why? Okay, so you know, at the time, and here, and here's the reason. Let me kind of predicate this a little bit because the reason that I wrote about that is because if you look at the industry, remember where I came from. I came from the point of sale industry, computer science, Microsoft. Um, it was like pulling teeth to get the restaurant industry to go to the touchscreen point of sale to get away from the old ECRs, the electronic cash registers. These were operators that were the slowest moving people I have ever met in my life. I just never could understand why they're resistant to change. And um, they were the independents, the, even the multi-unit guys. Um, but what happened was is that I think what 
occurred is that in the uh, mid-2000s to late uh, 2000s, an evolution started to uh, happen in the independent operator. They started to accept change much faster. And that was something I think I missed in the book in the sense of underestimating the change acceptance acceleration that the independent operator would take, the path in which they would go. Yeah. Now, I think they're actually more progressive than the multi-unit guys because they have, in their own way, a little less to lose. So they're willing to take risks now because there's some new vehicles out there that they believe in. So I actually think the independent operator may be um, – you know, onto something very unique and uh, and kind of cool. So it's uh, a completely flip of what I, I, I stated in the book. Yeah, you know, and I'm so happy. I, and I'm not going to lie. Like when I read that line, I highlighted it. I underlined it like five times with my pen so hard that the ink went through to the other side of the page. <laughs> and I was like, what? And because my heart is with the independent, my passions with the independent. And uh, I think to kind of add on to, to what you said about why, uh, it's change is also uh, because they're they're accepting change faster than ever before, like you said. But also yeah. with this ability to communicate faster, whenever information can travel faster, amazing things happen. Yeah. And the the information is available to the small business owner now. Plus, technology has evolved to the point where they can really compete with the big chains as far as you know efficiencies. And uh, it's really easy for small businesses to compete technolo- technologically with the big operations. Then also. And this is the big thing for me, and you said it, is the consumer drives the market. Uh, and the consumer, it's all about impact. And it's all about, uh, you know, local has more impact. People in that community have more impact. And there's so many things we're learning, so many documentaries coming out every day that the world has access to where we see what can happen when you put your money back into your community, where you, uh, when you source from local purveyors, when you... Uh, take care of your own people. And that's at the core of it all. That's human. That's humanity. That's impact. And I think people, because of our ability to become educated, are seeing that this is the better way. Is that, I mean, I'm, I'm a woo woo, like heart heavy dude. Tell me if I'm off track. Tell me if, if there's I don't hope think so. that. No, I think you're, you're on the right track. Uh, I think our, our industry is changing. As I said, the independent operator itself is, has accepted change much faster than the, uh, than the multi-unit brands. Um, and, and you can see it in the fact that small chains are being developed out of these independent operators. The guy who had one, you know, Italian restaurant in a city now has seven or eight. Um, that's not happening just by chance. It's happening by guys that, and, and, and women that are, you know, embracing change. Number one, really utilizing the whole, you know, concept of innovation ideas and leadership, and then leveraging that against you know technology and and so on, and because of that, it, it if you use that if you add in that little uh, spice in the recipe that is transparency, you in your own right start to attract the kind of people that um, that you want to be around you, and those are usually community driven people. Mm-hmm. Uh, they usually get behind a cause. They have uh, a much greater a thinking and value of what life is about um, for whatever reason, whether it's relig- religious implications or just, you know, uh, having great meditation practices. These are people that are just, they just skip to a different tune um, and you can kind of see them, you know, you know who they are. Yeah. And there's so many other things that are happening too that really level the playing field with, in terms of marketing. Uh, like, like you mentioned in the book, it's not about just putting out that message of what today's, you know, uh, 
what pr- promotion we have going on this month, but it's a matter of uh, the you know the channels of communication getting fragmented. So you can you as the consumer can choose what you want to have influence you, and I think that's a huge part of it. Like you, do you, do you understand? Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's probably even more pronounced today because if if you think about uh, the evolution of where the independent operator really started to take off uh, was in 2007-2008. And if you look back in 2007 and 2008, what was happening? The iPhone hit the market. Yeah. So mobile enabled um, GPS location map search, um, you know, exploration by consumers. Uh, obviously, you know, now you had a supercomputer in your pocket. There were no more secrets. There were no more hidden things. People and consumers could find out anything, anywhere, anytime. And the independents, I think, truly embraced that, and it really changed, uh, you know, kind of the landscape of the industry at that time. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, man, I'm getting pumped up. This is a great conversation, man. Uh, so let's see, where are we at for time? Woo, time flies when you're having fun. Uh, let's talk about technology. That's one thing I really wanted to pull out of you because I know that you're just uh, you know, a, a whiz when it comes to what's out there and leveraging technology. So let's start looking to the future about uh, where you see the the innovative restaurants, what technologies they're leveraging and what they're doing right. Just start you know, spitting at us the things we can start doing in our restaurant in regards to technology to be a future, uh, you know, a viable future concept, or I said the word I hate brand. (laughs) Um, well, there's a ton, you know, you, uh, let's start at the Genesis of where technology kind of, uh, began, uh, before it's kind of the, the point where the restaurant industry became self-aware, um, almost like AI in a sense. And that again, goes back into the era of the, evolution of social media. Uh, so here's what's happened. If you look back now, um, you know, Twitter and Facebook, of course, were kind of the, the new kids on the block. It was, it was a matter of which one was going to become the, the 800 pound gorilla. We all know now it's, it's Facebook clearly won that match. Um, you know, the takeover of MySpace uh, at that time was, was evident. And now what we're dealing with is e- these alternate platforms. And I feel like as uh as an operator, you've got to be able to understand and embrace them, uh, not go, uh, and, and you have to be careful because we are fragmented so much. You have to kind of navigate based on your individual brand as to which one's going to work for you because Snapchat might work for you. Uh, Peach might be a great one, you know, after school, musically, um, all of these different kinds of concepts that are emerging now beyond the, you know, the core, which is Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, et cetera. Um, so I think keeping in line with with that platform uh, landscape is um, super important as a brand leader. And and the cool thing is, if you're the right kind of brand leader, you're attracting the kind of people around you uh, that may have passion for each one of those. So it's it's easy enough to uh, you know to implement. But some of the things that, and I think that is it's kind of electricity was is today. It's just needed. It's an automatic. Um, you know, it's not a, an option anymore. Social is just going to be there, whatever platform or, or uh, vehicle you use. But I think the future is um, where we get into cashless or seamless transactions. Um, and I think uh, Uber is probably the pioneer in that whole process of the payment barrier being completely dissolved. Um, 
when you're able to do that as a service business, and remember, Uber is a service business. If you look at what Travis uh, has done at, at Uber, uh, they have really been able to break that barrier and and kind of just demolish it. Now, now they're doing it in a space that's very challenged, um, you know, from a, a legislative issue, from, you know, the, the powers that be in each of these cities. The restaurant industry not necessarily having to face that. So in reality, we as an industry, the restaurant industry, actually have the opportunity to touch consumers even more so than what Uber does. We're just doing it through a million locations mm-hmm. as opposed to one big one one big company. Um, and that's also kind of our weakness because we can't leverage um, you know the massive trillion dollar you know uh, budgets that are out there in the in the restaurant industry to to be able to address something like cashless payment. But if we can break down the barrier of a seamless payment uh, architecture and get back to the one thing that makes the restaurant business the restaurant business, and that is service. Right now, we're you know the POS is kind of almost the uh, the interceptor. Um, any kind of technology, whether it's online ordering or mobile, it's, it, there's something that's not working right. It interferes with the whole process of service in itself. And we're at that very um, you know awkward phase right now of technology being good enough, but we're very close to where technology is going to be really good. There's going to be, I think, some some pretty amazing companies that develop some pretty amazing products. And this is going to break down everything from delivery, food away from home, uh, cashless in store. Uh, it's going to get to day parts that are unexplored right now uh, versus the typical day parts that we're dealing with. That in itself will uh, potentially save us as an industry moving forward because I feel like we are on uh, an interesting uh, time right now. I think we might be in a, in a bit of a, a restaurant recession uh, because of the expansion, the quick expansion of, of so many independents and so many new brands evolving that uh, choice is now massive. And, uh, you know, there'll, there'll be some losers and some winners, but I think technology is going to be the, uh, the key thing that separates the losers from the winners. So I think that, and of course, the other aspect is AI will come into it, uh, augmented reality. I don't necessarily think virtual reality will, will play, but augmented reality, I mean, we've already seen that with Pokemon and, and uh, Pokemon Go and what's, what it's done. If you can imagine putting nutrition into an augmented reality state um, that can calculate accurately a dish nutrition or uh, things like av- availability or, or locations just by standing on a, on a street side, um, popping up things like, you know, this restaurant rating yeah. versus that restaurant rating uh, or, you know, their transparency rating. You know, are, what do they do for the community? Well, those kinds of technologies, I think, are coming. Uh, all of that will be, you know, essentially like driven. That's one transparency rating. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> all that will happen from the mobile device. Awesome. Um, you know, so the Internet of Things, I think it's it's going to get – Involved, but only in a sense that it will make our uh, systems and efficiencies run much better. We also may see the death of the retail location, you know, because real estate is one of the most uh, devastating inhibitors to growth in the industry. And if if technology can accelerate and consumers can, because at the end of the day, a consumer just wants lunch. You know, if you can deliver it to the patio outside their office, they just as soon have it there as come and get it. Um, 
So real estate could be a, a dying element of our industry in 20 years. We could see, you know, industrial parks that are nothing but delivery and commissary systems that um, are designed for food away from home. You know, because when you think about it, our industry inherently, unless you're traveling and eating with a group, and, and our studies show that there's more and more single diners. Um, and and I don't know necessarily yet why that is, but we're seeing a lot of traffic around single dining. And if you have that happening, uh, the ability to uh, transplant the retail or customer experience uh, from on location and you change the dynamic of when the customer experience occurs, which is in the mobile app, in the process of ordering, in the transparency of the nutrition uh, around the menu, and the transparency of the community involvement, all the way down to the delivery system, the quality of the food that's delivered on the hold, uh, when it's delivered at, at uh, their office or home or wherever. Um, I think that is is where we are going. And there's not too many brands that are yet thinking in that direction. Um, but there's a handful of guys that are starting to uh, to really talk about this. And I think that's where we'll be in uh, the next decade. Awesome. Uh, it's exciting stuff. And I love to uh, have calls to action. So are there any specific technology companies out there, services that really just have your attention? You mentioned Uber. Uh, are there any other uh, services you can think of that my listeners can go check out and follow and be on top of it instead of kind of just being lost on uh, like, you know, an aerial view of what you're talking about? Yeah. Right now, I think what we're dealing with is we've got a lot of, of, uh, of uh, fake it till you make it companies that are, are out there because they have great ideas, but they haven't quite cracked the code of actually implementing them on a scale level. So whether it's a, you know, whether it is companies like, um, relevant mobile, which is a company that does a lot of uh, mobile apps for companies, uh, whether you're using that and that's for online ordering, um, HR component apps, which is going to help, uh, you know, kind of improve the workforce itself. Any specific uh, thing that you that, think of? Not yet, but there are a couple of companies. Uh, there's one group out of S- uh, San Francisco that that is um, uh, working in Skunk Works right now. I know in an incubator that are trying to essentially develop the Uber for the restaurant employee, so uh, shift work type uh, products. So I think we'll see uh, some you know, some technologies and products that really start to elevate beyond where we are right now. Today, uh, it's the POS guys, you know, whether it's the Rebels or the Touch Bistros, everybody that's kind of shifted over to the iPad products or the tablet uh, products in general. I think those are, are you know, kind of um, uh, the must-haves for any independent operator, uh, you know, cake product. Uh, you look at uh, what Groupon's uh, product is doing uh, with their POS. Breadcrumbs um, actually, there's a ton. Breadcrumbs actually no longer owned by Groupon. I think uh, Upserve took over Breadcrumbs. What's well, st- yeah, standalone? Yeah, standalone now. Yeah. So so and another one that I comes think up we'll often see- is Toast that's mentioned a bunch of times. Yep. Toast app. Yep. Um, awesome. Um, I think. I think those are the you know like I said it's it, we're we're at the beginning era of yeah. where the next layer of of apps and technologies will come out. Yeah, and just to kind of feed off of what you were saying, some 
um, resources that were popping into my head, my head that were mentioned on the show. Uh, as far as reservation, making that streamline reservation is reserve.com, which is doing some really cool things, both for the consumer and the restaurant owner, providing uh, like like uh, floor management systems there. Uh, and then yep. uh, Wisetail, as far as HR and social uh, and training, uh, is another really uh, cool company that was on the show that's worth checking out, uh, who's doing some really cool stuff in that regard. Um, man, this has been awesome. If you can make one prediction, you've made a lot of predictions as far as technology, but uh, as far as the consumer goes, uh, what would that be? The prediction. Uh, you mentioned that they, the, the single yeah. consumer being able to, to deliver to wherever that consumer is, but is there anything else as far as their behaviors, what they're going to like? You mentioned health. Is that going to be it too in the future, health-focused? You know, I think that card is well underway, um, and, and, and it probably – it's not so much a prediction. I think it's just the reality of where the industry is, is that uh, uh, a healthier – Eating diet is is really kind of just in in the cards because of the uh, one is the millennial um, you know just that particular demographic is is essentially now in control of most of retail and will be for the next fifteen twenty years so I think that in itself is inherent in in uh, that approach the other thing is I think as um, my wife's a physician as is is I learn more and more about medicine and and where our systems are going that care is going to be um you know very indicative of people trying to just do a lot more preventative you know mm-hmm. and and if you can get into that area of preventative um you know preventative menus whether it's uh you know cancer um you know cancer uh offshooting uh nutrition whether it is, you know, looking at uh, certain types of fat content that are the good for you fats, um, things that don't necessarily put you on a diet, but instead restructure your entire nutrition genome in the sense of what you eat. Um, I think when we get that science down as a, as an industry, um, we'll win. Now, the specialty food market is fighting for that right now. They're doing a really good job of, of repositioning that. Obviously, companies like Whole Foods and and those types of markets are are really moving that direction. But I think the restaurant industry might be uh, might have a chance at uh, at going that direction, and that will breed and foster a, an entire cottage industry of producers and suppliers. And that's going to include farmers. It's going to include uh, you know fishing and restructuring of of what types of proteins and and even fish that we put into our diet. Um, even into the heritage breed, whether it's pork or chicken or any of those, I think a lot of what we know today is is not the foods that we eat, it's the combination of foods that we eat, you know, more so. If we just look back at the, you know, kind of uh, how we ate, um, you know, in the early years, not that, that now with medicine and exercise and just the evolution of the human body, um, we as a species have advanced dramatically in 100 years. You know, we live longer. Uh, we have greater stamina. You know, we look better longer. We have all these <laughs> things 
that I mean, if you know, if you were in the 1900s, if you lived to be 50, you you would yeah, look like crap, right. <laughs> and you were doing all right too. I mean, that's a long life uh, exactly. back then. Uh, Paul, we're out of time. Uh, I don't want to abuse your time. You've been amazing. Uh, I am jacked up right now. This is such a great conversation. You dropped gold on us today. Uh, let the folks at home know the best way to connect with you, maybe on social media or if you sure. want to follow your your work. What or maybe use one of your uh, services. Uh, I know you. You do consulting. You work with a lot of consulting companies. So what's the best way to connect? Well, uh, probably the easiest way to hit me is on Twitter, just at Paul Barron. Uh, you, of course, can can follow us on the network, which is foodabletv.com. Tons of shows on there, uh, web TV shows, and we produce about 7,000 original pieces of content, editorially, research, and video uh, annually. So uh, we have immense amounts of content on the network. And uh, that's really kind of the, the best way. If if you do want to uh, hit me on email, probably the easiest is just paul at foodabletv.com. Awesome. And uh, that's a call to action for you guys listening. Head over to foodabletv.com because there are some great shows uh, that really have uh, you know a finger on the pulse of the industry. And not only just the what's happening, but to get inspired. There's some awesome people doing some incredible things out there. Paul interviews them, much like I do with Restaurant Unstoppable unstoppable but it's a video series and uh, you have a bunch of other people with their own shows it's a great resource for any restaurant professional so check that out the links will be in the show notes this is uh restaurant unstoppable.com slash two five eight episode 258 you'll find all the links right there and paul we wrap up every episode by having my guests call somebody out uh so who's one indie restaurant professional actually you know what i'm gonna you know way too many people i'm gonna make you list at least three (laughs) Uh, okay. Because you know you know what's going on out there, so call out yeah. three independent restaurant operators uh, who are just crushing it, and people I need to get on the show to kind of share their story. Independence, okay. So, well, geez, you know this might be bad because I know so many of these oh, guys. You can go, you can go forever if you want, man. If you call them out, it's going to make my job much easier. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, here at hometown, let's go with the hometown. Of course, John Kunkel, Fifty Eggs uh, CEO and founder, founder of Lime Fresh, and runs all of the uh, yard bird <laughs> concepts was, swine he was on the show. on the show yeah he was awesome you, which okay. excites me because if you're going to be calling out more people like john this is going to turn out to be some great <laughs> stuff um dominic Crin, uh a great chef in san francisco runs uh, a brand out there called uh well she has two uh but uh, if you get to ever get a chance to go to i'll tell you Crin, um it's a great restaurant but she is uh an untrained cook uh, that has one of the only women that has won a Michelin star, oh. and it, it's pretty amazing. She's not a chef; she was, you know, essentially just uh, apprenticed into her her, uh, her role as a leading female chef. She is absolutely uh, amazing, uh, and you 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 gotta you gotta get a hold of them. Another guy. I don't know if you've ever talked to Louis Basile, the founder of Wildflower Bread. Yeah, he was on the okay. show. <laughs> okay. This makes me feel like I'm doing a good job. I have a good eye for people. That's right. You're <laughs> doing a great job. Uh, I'll tell you, Kren, uh, Louis and uh, John, and then beyond that, I think if you haven't had a chance to get Matthew Corrin or Nick Chimay, um, and then, of course, uh, Eric over at Tender Greens, the founder and CEO there, Oberholzer. Uh, amazing guy, Greg Dollarhide, uh, who helped lead um, the new veggie grill chain, uh, awesome. has done amazing stuff, you know, as an independent uh, now. But uh, a lot of these guys have, uh, 
you know, they just continue to uh, blow up. Jose Minden, great chef down here in uh, Florida. Uh, Giorgio Rapacavalli, uh, also here in Miami. Um, gosh, I could just go on all day. I think, I think you've done Harold good. Harold Dieterle. You've done York. good. I, I won't make you do it anymore. I don't want to get too greedy. So Dominique, Matt, Nick, Eric, Greg, Jose, Giorgio, Harold, Look out. I might have missed a couple. I was trying to keep up writing. Uh, you were going so fast. But uh, I would love to get you guys on the show. And, Paul, thank you again so much for taking the time to join me as a guest mentor here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Man, there is no questioning you are unstoppable. All right, man. <laughs> Cheers. All right, there's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurants Unstoppable. A great guest today, Paul Barron. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me uh, to shed some light on the future of the restaurant industry and what we can do to create that Chipotle effect culture in our restaurants. Uh, What really stood out to me today was uh, obviously just transparency and impact in the... uh, the hope that there is for the independent operator because of how close we can get to our consumer. And I just feel like there's so much hope in doing things right and uh, becoming a great person. And I know it sounds cheesy, and I, but there's just so much validity in that. And uh, sorry, Rosie's barking in the background because she agrees. <laughs> anyway, uh, I hope you guys picked up on that today, and I hope that that resonated with you. And uh, I hope you are focusing on attracting greatness onto yourself by first becoming great. So just just let that marinate for a little while. And uh, some reminders, please keep those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming. If you've left one, thank you so much. Those do help so much. They really, really do. And uh, also, don't forget that if you want to connect with me, if you want to uh, just have a conversation, maybe you need some inspiration, maybe you need some motivation, maybe I can help you connect with a past guest. Uh, shoot me an email, Eric, at Restaurant Unstoppable, or head over to restaurantunstoppable.com. Find that little uh, image there on the website. Uh, the, the 15-minute free one-on-one chat with me says something up. I love those conversations. I love connecting with my listeners. Uh, and uh, it just, just make it happen. Let's do it. And then lastly, uh, spread the word. This podcast will grow and expand if you share this resource with anybody you know who's looking to open a restaurant, who owns a restaurant, and wants to make it a better restaurant. Uh, surround yourself with mentors. It's as easy as hitting play. Uh, that's what I'm here to do, to grow professionally. And you can do it right alongside of me. What are you waiting for? All right, guys. Until next time, peace out. Peace out.